Welcome to New City Online. I'm Ron. And I'm Emily. And we're so grateful that you made the time to be with us today. And whether you've called New City your home for a long time or you're just checking us out, thanks for making us a part of your weekend and part of your faith journey. If you're new to New City Online, we'd love to know that you're joining us today. Please go to newcity.us connect, fill the form out there, and I'll be in touch with you this week. On June 6th, we're going to have a very special day here at New City. Once a year, we set aside a Sunday to celebrate our next-gen families, volunteers, and you as the church that supports them. We call it Orange Day, and it's a time that we remind ourselves about how God has called us to partner with families to raise up the next generation of Christ followers. We believe that if the color yellow represents the light of the church and the color red represents the love of the family, we're at our best when we combine and make orange. Even if you don't have kids at home currently, you are still a huge part of Orange Day. God has called each of us to share with the next generation the wonderful things He has done in our own lives. I'm in this stage of life right now with our kids where we're teaching them to ride bikes. Our oldest, Grady, is off his training wheels and he's gaining confidence, but our youngest daughter, Karis, is still working on getting off those training wheels and really wants to keep up with her brother. In fact, just a few weeks ago, I was chasing her around the park with my hand on the back of her seat, trying to help her feel the balance and get rid of those training wheels. You know, when it comes to generosity, I think the Bible talks about training wheels when it speaks about the tithe. God's people were told to set aside 10% of their income to support the work of the priests in the Old Testament in verses like Malachi 3.10. They were to give the tithe first before they did anything else. But the tithe is something God put in place as a starting point, not the finish line. It's how we learn to be generous, but it's not the end goal. And my hope for you is that you would give generously out of faith and love, not under compulsion, but out of joy. To those of you who are already giving tithes and offerings as an act of worship and obedience to God, thank you. We're doing our best to use your gifts to honor God as we faithfully bring gospel renewal to our city and world. And if you'd like to give to the work of New City Church, you can do so at newcity.us give. Now let's continue to worship together. Yeah! And I saw Satan fall like lightning I saw darkness run for cover but the miracle that I just can't get over My name, it is registered in heaven Yes it is I believe in signs and wonders And I have resurrection power And so the miracle that I just can't get over My name, it is registered in heaven sons and daughters bought with blood and washed in water 
Cheers. 
forgiveness for making worship about our preferences and what we like to hear, the songs we like to sing on a Sunday, or about how we sound. God, it's not about any of that, God. It's not about how we look whenever we worship. It's just about coming to you and asking you, Lord, what is it right now? What do you want from me? And surrendering that without hesitation, God. I pray that you just fix our hearts back into that purify our hearts and our desires so that we can just worship purely and worship how you defined in spirit and in truth. God, thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Today you'll hear a sermon from Pastor Chris that comes from Matthew chapter 15. As a reminder, we have the sermon notes and text preloaded in the New City app. So take a moment and open up the app or turn there in your Bible. Now here's Chris with the next sermon in Stories Jesus Told. This is a story Jesus told. It comes from Matthew chapter 15, verses 10 through 20. Jesus called to the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. When the disciples came to him and asked, Do you know that the Pharisees were very offended when they heard this? He replied, 
Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them, they are blind guides. If the blind will lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Peter said, Explain the parable to us. Are you still so dull? Jesus asked them. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But then things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. The heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. Have you heard that expression before? What do you think about that? For most of us, when we hear that expression, we think about emotions or the things that we love. And certainly that, that, that is what's included in the expression. But what does God think about that? When, when we think about the heart of the matter being the matter of the heart, I wonder what God's perspective on that is. For, from, from God's perspective, what the Bible says about the heart is that it's something that's even more than emotions. It includes our emotions and things that we love, but it also includes our thinking and our choices. In fact, the Bible talks about the heart more than anything else, more than your mind, more than your body, more than your soul. God speaks of the heart because from God's perspective, the heart is like the control center of your life. It's the essence of who you are. It's from where all your thinking and your choice comes from. Uh, Greg Bill said it this way. He said, we are what we worship. We are what we love. And so Jesus, when he gives the great commandment, when he summarizes all of the commandments and the law and the prophets in one statement, he begins with love. He says, love the Lord your God. Do you remember this? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. We are becoming what we are loving. The heart of the matter is a, is a matter of the heart. And again, for God, for God's perspective, our heart is, is the essence of who we are. It's our thinking, it's our emotions, it's our will, it's our choices. So last week in our, in our series, the, the, the stories Jesus told, we left off in Matthew chapter 13. We've been walking through the Gospel of Matthew and these stories that Jesus told that are called parables. And we, we've talked about how parables sort of parallel our lives. And in Matthew 13, where we left off, we, we finished seven message and messages in one chapter. You can go back and listen to them. Um, Jesus told over 20 stories that are recorded specifically in the Gospel of Matthew. And a third of those stories are in Matthew chapter 13. And where we left off was, was Jesus describing what the kingdom of God was really like. And again, coming beside people with these stories. He, he used everyday life to communicate eternal things. You know, stories are sticky. They have a way of sticking with us. If I, if I share with you a list of facts or details and I come back to you in a couple of weeks, you'll probably forget those. But we remember stories. I love what uh, Debbie um, or Dina Metzger said. She said, when stories nestle in the body, the soul comes forth. I love that quote. Think about that. When stories nestle in our bodies, our everyday lives, our existence physically, they have a way of, of calling forth our soul, our heart, who we really are. And that's really what Jesus did with these parables. He told stories that, that uh, spoke to farmers and fishermen and, and everyday life, physical stories, but they, they weren't just for the everyday. They called forth the eternal, our, our very souls, to speak to our hearts because the heart of the matter is a, is a matter of the heart. So where we leave off in, in chapter 13 uh, and where we are today in chapter 15, if you have a, a copy of the scriptures, you can turn there to Matthew chapter 15. That's where we're going to be. 
But in between, a lot happens. Uh, We read at the end of chapter 13 that Jesus goes to his hometown of Nazareth, and he's with his family, uh, his mother, his brothers, his sisters, and he's preaching and he's teaching. And do you remember what happens? At the end of chapter 13, in his hometown, he's rejected. People say, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't this Mary's son? Um, uh, Isn't this his family? What does he know about all these things? And the Bible says that they were offended at Jesus. So he's he's rejected in his hometown. And then Matthew records the, the death of John the Baptist. It had probably happened before, but he records it in Matthew chapter 14. Uh, he he, he uh, reminds us that Herod executes uh, John the Baptist. He beheads him. And when that happens, Jesus is grieved and his disciples are grieved, and he retreats to get away and to, to be in, uh, alone with his grief. But there's a group of people that follow him, a lot of people that follow him. And this is where the feeding of the 5,000 takes place, which you'll remember in Matthew 14 isn't just 5,000 people. Uh, It's probably more like 20,000 people, like Time Warner Arena, uh, full of people. And and Jesus and his disciples um, participate in probably one of the most well-known miracles. Jesus invites his disciples to to be a part of that miracle and feeding those folks. And then the disciples go on ahead, and this is where Jesus uh, comes out to them at night, and he walks on water, and he calls Peter out of the boat, this great narrative uh, in Matthew chapter 14. And then they, they land at a, at a place called Gennesaret. And in that place, all the people in the region, unlike Nazareth, Jesus' hometown, uh, they've heard about Jesus and, and they believe that Jesus is a prophet, that he's, uh, that he's uh, someone who can heal their sick. And so they, they bring people, the Bible says here at the end of chapter 14 in Matthew, all kinds of people uh, to be healed by Jesus. Uh, for those of you who are healthcare workers, I mean, we, we love you and we appreciate and thank you for all of your, your hard work, especially in the season I love. Uh, Matthew reveals in Matthew 9 that Jesus was preaching and teaching and he was healing, and we see that happen here in context in Matthew 14, that a third of Jesus' ministry, if you will, was healing, uh, was, was meeting people's physical needs. And then that brings us to our, our chapter today in context. Um, chapter 15. And this is really interesting because in the midst of all of that and Jesus' popularity spreading far and wide and him feeding uh, the 20,000 people and healing all kinds of people in this region, a delegation of leaders come from Jerusalem to Gennesaret and they confront Jesus. And this is how Matthew records the confrontation, verses 1 and 2, if you're there with me, and Matthew 15. Then the Pharisees and the scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem, and they said, Why do your, look at this, why do your disciples break the, if you're underlining this maybe in your Bible or highlight it on your phone, the tradition of the elders, for they do not wash their hands when they eat. Now, how many of you, when you were growing up, you were told over and over and over again, to make sure to wash your hands before you eat, you know, a million times, right? And we should wash our hands. Now more than ever, we should be washing our hands. This is a great thing. But let me ask you a question. As you hear that, as you read it in the scriptures, when this religious group comes from Jerusalem to confront Jesus, did they come all the way from Jerusalem to this region and confront Jesus just to tell his disciples to wash their hands? Probably not. You know, oftentimes in relationships, there's like a presenting issue, and then there's the real issue. There's what we say, and then there's what we don't say. Any of you following me on this? I know, um, like, Jen and I have been married for 20 years this year. 
Oftentimes, you know, in our conversations, it'll be about, hey, could you do this? Could you do that? Could I ask you a question? But sometimes, oftentimes, there's a, there's a deeper meaning to that. You know, it's not just a, hey, could you help me clean this up or could you help me do that? It's really about, uh, am I being seen here? Uh, are, are you listening? Um, do, do you understand? And I think that's what's happening here as well. The presenting issue is, why don't your disciples wash their hands? But underneath it, the Pharisees have a much deeper and more significant sort of issue or matter on their hands, no pun intended. And the, the, the issue or the, the kind of the heart of the matter for them, what's underneath their question and their confrontation about washing of hands, is who Jesus is himself and what he represents, which was a direct threat to often to what they believed, to what they practiced, to their religious establishment, if if you will. So they didn't see just to just to say, uh, the religious leaders who came out from Jerusalem to confront Jesus here in Matthew 15. They didn't see Jesus as who like for who he was, as the Son of God who was the fulfillment of all of the scriptures. They saw Jesus not as a fulfillment but as a threat. And and just just to ask a question here. What happens when what you believe, what I believe, or, or maybe what we practice or how we live or our traditions, to use the word here, our rituals, you know, the way we, we do things, when that's threatened by what God says we're meant to do? Let me say it a different way. What happens when, when our way or my way is threatened by God's way? I think that's the, the confrontation that we actually see here in Matthew 15 is this uh, parade of religious leaders literally marching out to meet Jesus with their way and God himself, Jesus, and representing the kingdom of God, and they're on a God's way and my way or their way is on a, is on a collision course. And what we see happen here in Matthew 15 is, is really this, this parade of tradition and, and my way and the parade of God's kingdom and his way colliding together in this place. And this isn't the first time this confrontation or a collision happened between the religious leaders and Jesus, right? You know, part of what Jesus came to do was to seek and save the lost, but part of seeking and saving the lost was confronting the religious establishment that, that had control. And again, this wasn't the first time. In Matthew chapter 9, um, Jesus' uh, disciples are accused of not fasting on the proper days. We actually talked about this earlier in our series, that um, there's one day in the scriptures that are prescribed for the people of God to fast, the Day of Atonement. Um, but the Pharisees had added all these other days that people were asked to publicly fast. And when Jesus' disciples didn't participate in that because they had a meal in a home, uh, the Pharisees were on it. And they, they, again, they confronted them with our way and God's way. And in Matthew 12, the disciples are, you, you, you might remember this, they were plucking the heads of grain as they were walking on the Sabbath and eating. And the religious leaders get upset at that because they saw it as work and you weren't allowed to do that. And then moreover, in chapter 12, Jesus himself, when he cast out a demon from someone, is accused of being demon-possessed. Um, by the religious leaders because of that, that act of, of healing. So there was this collision that went back and forth between the religious leaders and, and Jesus. And ultimately what it was about was the, the kingdom or the parade of my way and tradition and the parade of God's way um, and his way of life through, through Christ. The background here, uh, uh, just again for context, is that the religious leaders had this belief that you could do enough 
right? That you could do enough, that you could be enough, that you could uh, kind of clean up your exterior enough to be pleasing before God, to be righteous before God. And the confrontation that's happening, happening here is the, the, the kingdom of heaven brought on by Jesus, and, and it's not by our works or our actions, but it's by his completed work for us, and then the religious leaders believing that you could do enough. And, and again, we're seeing those two things come together here. It was more than just about washing your hands for sanitary reasons, right? The deeper issue was that the religious leaders thought you could clean up your life enough to be pleasing before God. So Jesus asked them a question back here in verse 3. I love this. So they come and they confront him. You know, why do your disciples not wash their hands before you eat? And and Jesus asks a question in return. He says this in verse 3. Why do you, religious leaders, why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your, and here's the word again, for your tradition? In other words, why do you go against what God clearly says is true and he himself, Jesus himself, was the, was the truth. Why do you go against me? Why do you go against God and the, the clear commandment of God for your traditions? In other words, these two parades colliding together again. Why do you choose your way over God's way? And, and without going into all the details, what they were doing was finding a way around the fifth commandment of honoring your father and your mother. And they were going around that with different rules and regulations to, to keep from having to, to support your mom and your dad. And Jesus confronts them on that. He knows that. And he says, you know, you're, you're going around it, the clear commandments of God to, you know, to fulfill just your traditions and get your way. Now, let me just say this about traditions because, you know, Jesus mentions it a couple times here. Um, and the Pharisees do as well. Traditions can be a wonderful thing. Like these, these, these um, I'll use another word, these rituals or these rhythms. I love that word, rhythms. These, that, that can guide us to the very heart of God. Those can be wonderful. We, you know, the, the Christian faith is, is full of rich traditions and rhythms and rituals that if they're kept in practice for what they're meant to be can really be a guide to the very heart of God and his eternal truth. But what has happened to the Pharisees and the scribes, and it can happen to us, is that the traditions and those rhythms can be elevated above the destination themselves. So in other words, those guides that can help us move towards the heart of God and who God is can actually become the, the destination and not the guide itself. And then we get in trouble. So Jesus quotes from Isaiah here in verses 8 and 9 and, and Matthew 15, and he kind of summarizes all this and, and, and quoting from the prophet Isaiah and saying this, the peop, this people, and he's, he's including the religious leaders now, this people honors me with their lips, like externally, but their heart is far from me. And I just, we, we highlighted heart there because again, the heart of the matter is a matter of the heart and Jesus is speaking about the heart. He's saying, you do the, all the physical rituals and all the things, but in vain do you worship me, teaching as doctrines the commands of God. Um, in other words, like your heart is not with me. And so you're honoring me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. And so it's in vain that you're teaching the doctrines and the commands of God because your heart isn't really aligned to God. I'll say it a different way what Jesus is saying here in context. The heart of the matter is a, say it with me, a matter of the heart. And you can be doing all of these things. You can be saying all the right things. You can be showing up to worship. You can be doing all of these different rituals and keeping all the rules, washing your hands, doing all the things on the outside. But it might just be a cover for what's on the inside or the lack thereof, of not really honoring God and worshiping God with your heart. 
And so after this, after this teaching in context, Jesus pulls the people together. Look at verse 10, Matthew 15. He kind of he huddles up his disciples and the other group of people who are listening. Remember, they're in Gennesaret. All these people have brought their sick for healing. Imagine uh, their confusion at the religious leaders from Jerusalem coming out to Jesus and, 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 and now Jesus and the religious leaders having this confrontation right in front of them. And so after Jesus kind of speaks prophetically to the religious leaders and the scribes and Pharisees, he pulls his disciples and the people together and he gives them this teaching. In verses 10 and 11, he begins by saying, hear and understand. So he pulls them together and he says, hear and understand. And let me just stop right there. If you, if you have a copy of the scriptures or you're following on your phone, highlight it or underline those two words, hear and understand. The, the whole purpose of Jesus's ministry, his preaching, his teaching, his healing, was for people to understand who he was and to follow after him. And we talked about last week in the parable of the net, you can go back and listen to it, that understanding is at the core of discipleship, about what it means to follow God, is understanding who he is and then ordering your life around that. So as Jesus begins to frame up this parable, he says, you know, listen, the whole idea here is that you hear my words and that you understand them and you're able to put them into practice. And then he says in verse 11, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. Again, he's talking about it's not the outside, it's the inside. And imagine again the confusion of some of the people that are, here's our religious leaders, and here's Jesus, this man who's healing all these people and preaching and teaching, and they're in a confrontation with one another. And the confrontation is over two different ideas about what it means to be clean before God. The religious leaders think it's about your external things and the rules that you keep. Jesus is clearly teaching that it's something else. And he wants people to understand that it's, it starts from the inside and works its way out, your heart for God. It begins inside with who you are. Remember how God saw the heart. It was your emotions, your loves, your, your, your thinking, everything. It's the command center of your life. And that's where it begins. The religious leaders are teaching the people that it's the outside, it's the rules, it's the regulations. And so Jesus said it this way in Luke 6. He made it really clear. He said, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So in other words, like what's down in the well comes up in the bucket. The, the words I speak, the, the, my actions, they begin to, to form a story and a reflection about what I really believe. In other words, what Jesus is saying here is it comes from within. You think that your life is about the exterior and doing the washing and the cleaning and all the rituals, but actually Jesus wants to teach here his disciples in the crowd that it starts within. It starts with your heart. And over the years, the, the rules and the regulations and the traditions have become the actual meaning for the Jews and the religious leaders instead of the rules and the regulations and the traditions guiding them to the heart of God that is the meaning, having a heart and a love for God. You know, I think all of us, all of us have a little bit of like Pharisee in us. We, we all have like a propensity that left on our own to make it about rules and regulations and, and our way. And the teaching of Jesus helps to call us back that it's not about what we do. It's, it's really about what God has done. And this is a, a tremendous like pivot point in the teaching of the Christian faith that it's not about how much we do, you know, how, 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 
how much we can clean up or wash our hands. You know, Jesus teaches there's not enough soap in the world that can, that can cleanse our hearts on our own. It, it's about what he's done for us, that it's through his righteousness and his sacrifice and his uh, life on our behalf that his righteousness is imparted to us, that we become clean, that it's been done for us. But here's the deal, guys. If you think like the religious leaders did, that the rules and the regulations and the traditions are going to make you clean, then, then what happens? Just like them, you become an expert in the rules. If you think that you can score enough points, you know, by all your external behaviors, by what you can do, then, then you become an expert in, in keeping the rules and keeping the score. But the question becomes like, how good is good enough? You know, is it 51 to 49? Well, the Bible teaches that it's 100% that holiness is purity before God, that that's the standard. And Jesus knew that we weren't going to make it on our own, and that's the very essence of why he came. Again, Jesus taught is teaching here to his disciples, as the Pharisees are listening in, that there's not enough rules or rituals or traditions that are going to make your heart clean before God. That's why he came. And he continues. Look at verses 12 through 14. He says, you know, because the religious leaders don't understand this, that it's not, it's not due, it's done. That it's not the outside, but it's the inside of your heart. Uh, they're like the blind leading the blind. And I love verse 12 here. Look at it with me. You have your scriptures open. Uh, the disciples say after this little teaching where Jesus says, hear and understand, it's not about the inside. It's not about the outside, it's the inside. And when you make it about the external, you've missed what, you know, what where the, the real challenge and the issue is. The disciples come to Jesus and they say, like, you've offended these guys. Do you, you know, Jesus, like you're offending them. And I love Jesus' response here. He, he says in verse thir 13 and 14, he says, every, this is the parable, really, that every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. He's sort of hearkening back to the weeds and the wheat, that they grow up together. But if it's not of God, which the rules and the traditions and trying to make it on your own is clearly not something uh, that the Father is planning. He says all that's going to be rooted up. The religiosity is going to be rooted up. And then he says in verse 14, let them alone, which is a colloquialism that means don't follow them. And he says these words about the religious leaders. They're blind guides, and, and if the blind lead the blind, they're both going to fall into a pit. So essentially what Jesus is saying here to his disciples in the crowd, right in front, by the way, right in front of the religious leaders, is that these guys are lost. They're, they're not teaching um, the, really, the, the heart of God and what the, the, the matter of the heart really is, which is a heart that uh, loves God and, and sees that I can't do enough on my own to be righteous. And it's, it's only through the, the, the work of Jesus that I'm going to be made righteous and clean. And they say, because they're guiding you in a way that thinks that you've got to do all these things, they're, they're blind. Um, and, and they're not only that, but this is the essence of leadership. It's, it's blind people who are, who are leading other blind people. It's lost people who are leading lost people. I remember um, years ago, I was doing a funeral out of town. And we finished the service, uh, preaching the service um, at the funeral home when we were driving to do the graveside. And I was following the, the funeral director. And it became clear to me after a while that he was making all kinds of turns that we were lost. And I looked behind me and he's leading us and I'm following him. And then all the people behind us are following us and we're just doing all these turns and going all around. And it's clear that we're lost. 
And that's, that's the essence of what Jesus is saying is the leaders here who are out in front of the parade, if they're lost, then everybody else behind them is lost. I love what Andy Stanley says about spiritual leadership, that, that leadership is stewardship. You know, all of leadership is stewardship, and it's temporary and we're accountable. And that's essentially what he's saying to the religious leaders listening, but also his disciples who will, who will take the mantle of leadership in the church. And then uh, Peter raises his hand, final thing here. Peter raises his hand after Jesus teaches this parable about the plants being rooted up and the blind leading the blind. Uh, I love this in verse 15. He says, we don't understand. And it's one of the, you know, it's one of the times where the disciples again say, we just, we don't understand what you're saying. So can you please explain it to us? And uh, Jesus says, are you still without understanding? Remember that word, understanding, that's the essence of what Jesus is trying to impart to each of us, that we would understand his heart, who he is, and what his kingdom is really about. And so then he explains it in verses 17 through 20. Let me just read it to you as we finish. Finish. He says, um, do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and it's expelled? So he gives kind of a lesson on the digestive process here. In verse 18, he says, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from, and here's our word again, from the heart, and it defiles a person. So it's not what you're ingesting, Jesus says, it's what's coming out of your heart. It's what's coming from within. Verse 19, for out of the heart, there's the word again, come evil thoughts. So all of your actions, your thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander, on and on and on. All of this comes from within, from the heart. These are what defile a person. But what to eat with unwashed hands doesn't defile anyone. In other words, Jesus is bringing it all home here in his explanation. He's saying it's not what's external. It's what's internal. It's what's coming from within that is coming out in your words, in your actions. And he lists all kinds of things um, that come out of a defiled heart. And, and the list can go on and on and on beyond these things that Jesus mentions specifically. In other words, what Jesus is teaching is religion works from the outside, all the rules and regulations and traditions, to try to get to the inside. But, but faith in Jesus, faith in who he is, comes from the inside. It starts in the heart. The Bible says that God wants to give us a new heart. And when that happens through faith in Jesus, out of our new heart, we begin to, to live and act and think in a new way in a way that reflects the heart of God. It goes all the way back to Jesus said what Jesus said here to them from Isaiah. You might have lips that, that speak uh, you know, words of worship and love, and you might do all of these things, but if your heart isn't close to me, none of that matters. Because, because the heart of the matter, bottom line, is a matter of the heart. It comes from within. And what Jesus was driving the religious leaders that were listening and all of his disciples and the other crowds that were gathered there was that it's, it's not about what you do on the outside or what you take in that defiles you. It's not about cleaning your hands and washing your hands before dinner or what you eat or when you eat. It's about your heart. The heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. Jesus came here to give us a new heart. And that's what he's teaching in Matthew chapter 15. To him alone be the glory. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for this teaching. Thank you for your word of correction today for those of us who have made it about what we can do. May you remind us from, from your word today that it's not what we, what, what, what we can do on our own, it's what you've done for us. 
And as we look to you, Jesus, as our example, as we look to you as our Savior, as our Lord, um, we want to trust you. And as we trust you and we place our faith in you and not in ourselves, we pray that you would give us a heart, a heart to love you and to love other people. That you would help us to, to share with other people, not just our traditions or our rituals, but our heart and the essence of what you came to do, which is to, to love us and to make us new people, give us new hearts to love others. God, I pray that you would give us the, the wisdom today to know what you're speaking to us through your word. And would you help us now, wherever we might be, to, to have the faith and the courage to go and, and live it out. In the name of Jesus, amen. I'm coming back to the heart of worship And it's all about you It's all about you, Jesus And I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I made it And it's all about you It's all about you, Jesus And I'm coming back to the heart Thanks so much for worshiping with us today, New City family. If you would, extend your hands for a benediction as we go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Turn his countenance to you and give you peace. Have a great week, New City.